Tom Swarbrick on LBC. 5.49 is the time, 10 to 6, Friday night, Tom Swarbrick on LBC, and you know what's about to happen. This is molten hot radio slag poured directly into your lug holes. It emerges from the blast furnace of American politics and is delivered to you via the smooth golden voice of Simon Marks, American Week. Tom, President Biden said the quiet stuff out loud this week, but initially he said it nowhere near a microphone. On Tuesday night at a private fundraising event for supporters of his re-election, the president offered the first indication yet that time is up for his support of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's military campaign in Gaza. He argued for the first time that Israel is engaged in an indiscriminate bombing campaign in the Palestinian territory. He warned that the Israeli government is starting to lose international support and expressed concern that Israel's war cabinet doesn't understand the scale of global anger over the loss of Palestinian civilian lives. Publicly, he started backing his way into his new position 24 hours earlier. 35 years ago, I said, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist, and I'm a Zionist. At a White House reception on Monday night to Mark Hanukkah, the president said the Hamas attacks on October the 7th were completely inhumane, posed a threat to Israel's right to exist, and required a muscular response. But then he gingerly began the process of dropping the boom. I've known Bibi for now 51 years. He has a picture on his desk of he and I when he was a young member of the Israeli uh, Foreign Service. And uh, I was a 32-year-old senator. And I wrote on the top of Bibi, I love you, but I don't agree with the damn thing you had to say. <laughs> it's about the same today. I love you. As the president likes to say, joking apart, there is now a U-turn underway. Officials say the White House has told Netanyahu to end the ground and air war in Gaza no later than the end of the year and instead pursue more tactical targeted action against Hamas and its commanders. In Tel Aviv today... It's good to see you again, Thank you for coming in. Thank you for your support. Well, thank you for having me. I'm look, very much looking forward to this meeting, and, and you have the support of the United States as you take on this terrorist threat. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, who very much did not look like a man who was really looking forward to his meeting with the Israeli leader. Netanyahu had already dismissed suggestions that he might back off in Gaza, saying yesterday that Israel's war will go on for months. After their meeting today, Mr. Sullivan tried to thread the needle. When Israel launched this campaign to root out the terrorist threat that Hamas poses to the state of Israel, uh, it made clear from the beginning that this war would proceed in phases. There's no contradiction between saying the fight is going to take months and also saying that um, different phases will take place at different times over those months, including the transition from the high-intensity operations to more targeted operations. So to be clear about what's going on here, the Biden administration is watching the president's approval numbers crater, in part because of his handling of the crisis in the Middle East. History was made in Washington this week when about three dozen White House staff members wearing masks and sunglasses to conceal their identities protested outside the building and urged the president to back a ceasefire. And up on Capitol Hill, left-wingers like Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont are also urging the president to row back. I have asked President Biden to do two things. Number one, not support $10 billion for Netanyahu's right-wing government to continue their horrific 
military strategy. Number two, to support the United Nations resolution, which would provide a humanitarian ceasefire. But the president has done himself no end of damage on the world stage as well by vetoing last Friday's UN draft resolution calling for a ceasefire. He also had to juggle this week with the other foreign policy crisis on his watch, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and Vladimir Putin's insistence that his war to seize control of the country will continue. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the White House. Thank you so much. To the Oval Office. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky received a last-minute invitation to travel to Washington this week. The White House hoping the force of his personality would help overcome gridlock in Congress over fresh funding for Kiev. At a joint press conference with his Ukrainian guest, President Biden again urged Republicans to act. Without supplemental funding, we're rapidly coming to an end of our ability to help Ukraine respond to the urgent operational demands that it has. Putin is banking on the United States failing to deliver for Ukraine. We must, we must, we must prove him wrong. But while some Republicans on Capitol Hill are simply delaying support for that funding package until President Biden agrees to crack down on illegal immigration flooding America's border with Mexico, other voices in the party are steadfastly opposed to spending any more taxpayer dollars on Ukraine. They actually brought... Zelensky over to talk to our military? Are you kidding me? And try to look like they're trying to get the military on their side. Oh, you have to do this or the Russians are going to be in, you know, Warsaw next. Steve Bannon, political advisor to former President Donald Trump, with this preview of what will happen if Trump wins the Republican Party's presidential nomination and then the keys to the Oval Office next November. Screw Ukraine. Here's here's the work we got to do in Ukraine. Hey, how about this? Nothing. Zero. Zelensky's not going to get any money and anybody that would sit there and try to give him money should be turfed out. Speaking of turfing people out, despite the fact that so much else is taking place, this was the week when Republicans officially stepped up their efforts to impeach Joe Biden. There was high drama on Capitol Hill on Wednesday morning. For six years, I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. The president's son, Hunter, was not, in fact, where he was supposed to be. Republicans had issued a subpoena compelling him to testify behind closed doors over entirely unproven Trump-backed theories that the Bidens are an organized crime family. Hunter Biden took care on Wednesday. He held his press availability on the Senate side of the complex because if he'd stepped foot on the other side of the building, the House of Representatives Sergeant-at-Arms could have arrested him for defying the subpoena. During my battle with addiction, I was extremely irresponsible with my finances. But to suggest that is grounds for an impeachment inquiry is beyond the absurd. It's shameless. There's no evidence to support the allegations that my father was financially involved in my business because it did not happen. But Republicans are still trying to prove that it might have happened. There is now the very real possibility that Joe Biden will face impeachment proceedings in the House of Representatives, despite the absence of evidence suggesting he committed the necessary high crimes or misdemeanors. He will certainly be facing more questions like this one whenever he appears before reporters.
Can you explain to the Americans why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many of their business associates? I did not. There's lies. Hunter Biden's decision to go on the offensive this week is a high-risk strategy. He is, after all, facing a possible 17-year jail sentence for tax fraud, with prosecutors claiming that over a three-year period, he pulled $1.6 million out of bank cash point machines, a feat that is unimaginable given that I can never find one in America that's actually working. But listen, in impeachment terms, we are in a post-truth reality here and Senator Mitt Romney the 2008 Republican presidential candidate is our guide have you seen any evidence that President Biden has committed high crimes and misdemeanors no I I, I don't uh, see any evidence of that at all uh, I think before you begin an impeachment inquiry you ought to have some evidence some inclination uh, that there's been wrongdoing and so far there's nothing of that nature that's been provided he spoke on NBC and he's a lucky man that one Tom he's retiring from the political field of battle And who can blame him? From Washington, D.C., Simon Marks, American Week.